What about wedges? No answer. What about wedges? Yeah, just just let them rust. That's uh, just let them rust, and you'll pick up uh, 11 million RPMs or, or something. No, do not do that. Do not. Do not do the rusty wedge thing. Tony, how are you living? It's no putts given. Episodes, whatever we're on. We've been off for two weeks. Nothing's been going on in the golf industry, which is good. Been pretty quiet. So, yeah, nothing to talk about. No, nothing Nothing happened with Liv. Nobody won a FedEx Cup. Uh, PGA Tour didn't announce a major reorganization of sorts. And Callaway did not become the top golf Callaway Bud Light and Fajitas <laughs> Company Limited. Light beer. Not You can't say Bud Light. Yeah, that's right. We're going to say light beer. <laughs> some point, we may want to put it on a T-shirt. So we got to make sure that we like right. beer and, and fajitas. And we'll talk about all that stuff in the weeks to come. But for today, we're going to catch up on some equipment stuff, Tony. So two big topics. Number one, we got this from a, a reader a couple weeks ago or whatever, talking just about kind of this idea of innovation, what space, you know, uh, is is left to innovate. You know, what what... As we get into, believe it or not, right, we're already thinking about 2023 kind of stuff. We're hearing rumors of the different products that may or may not. There will be out. things. There will be things. There and widgets and likely right, we're on replacement cycle or update for Pro V1, Pro V1X. So left dash, maybe. May. Come on, guys, get on that. So we got to talk about. Well, that's great to have new stuff, but then I look at a guy like Patrick Cantley, and I, I don't know, is he playing anything that's current in the Titleist lineup? Maybe. I think there's an SM7 wedge in there. There's, uh, you know, fairway woods that are several generations old, drivers several generations old, irons at least several generations old. Um, so what does that kind of say about the... Um, you know, the state of things. And then second, secondarily, lessons or new equipment? Where should I spend my money? We're going to debate that one. And I, uh, I think we got a couple interesting things to talk about there. But um, let's go category by category here, Tony. And the question is going to be kind of the same as where is the meat left on the bone, so to speak, right? So we've talked at large that, you know, we're advances tend to be iterative and not necessarily generational or industry changing regardless of what companies say it's not a game changer it may be a bank account changer but it's not a game changer but when you look at the world of drivers where is the meat what meat is left on that bone tony it's not a lot of meat there's there's maybe a little bit of meat so if we're looking at what are companies going to do to, it's always about speed, right? Speed is always the the story with drivers. Occasionally somebody will talk about forgiveness, but nobody wants forgiveness without speed. So it's speed first, then everything else, I guess. Uh, I kind of thought about this when we, we talked about what we were going to talk about. It's not particularly okay. exciting, but I think there's a little bit maybe in materials. We've talked about stealth and the carbon face and what that allows potentially with discretionary weight, taking all that massive weight out of the, the front part of the head where it is the least useful and, and freeing it up to move it around. 
and do cool stuff with. That's one option. But I think, I think the real meat, and this is so boring, is manufacturing to tighter tolerances. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing, Tony. All right, it's so sexy. That's what everybody wants. But I think, I think that's it. Uh, Everywhere we go, they talk about kind of the the CT curves and hey, we're gonna we're gonna manufacture to a target, manufacture to a target, probably somewhere in the low two forties for CT. So. As a refresher, once once you get through all their tolerances, you can go up to 257. Everybody kind of has to design to 242 because you get parts on either side of that. So I think if you narrow those tolerances, you can push that 242, maybe the 245, <laughs> 246. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of hot. But from the consumer perspective, as boring as that sounds, if if you can push it kind of higher into the 240s and narrow that curve it means when you go out to buy a driver at retail there's less of a chance that you're going to get one of those 220 ct duds that are they're definitely out there so it's it's kind of making making the pool in general better for everybody but in terms of big number gains i think we're probably in in an era where there might be a few miles an hour left on the table one way or another, and that's not nothing, but we're, we're a long, long way removed from anybody coming back with that, that 10 more yards type stuff that, that ship has yeah. failed. So, well, I'll go back to the CT thing for a second. Cause I know we were on a trip recently, talked to some manufacturers around some of these things and they said not uncommon to, you know, manufacturing tolerances going back to that, to have a plus or minus 12. CT point tolerance, meaning a total spread of, you know, basically 24. So if, you know, if you're in that low 240s area and that's your target and you say, okay, 240 and we're, you know, we could have 12 higher, that's 252. We could have 12 lower than 240, which becomes 228. How much of a difference is that? What I mean, what are we talking about practically in terms of an actual ball speed number? with that kind of variation in CT. I mean, 10 CT points isn't, isn't much. It's, it's not a lot, but it's something. And, and so you, and again, these, these duds are real. I remember a few years back we had, and this is when we were testing models over and over again in most wanted testing, we had a driver that had performed pretty well for us one year. Yeah. And it was the following year, it was an absolute dud and it was, right. It was quantifiable. One of those things where it wasn't just, it was, it was beyond what was attributable to the test pool. Like this thing is slow and it's this slow for slow. everybody. And yeah. so we sent it off to be CT tested and it came back at 222, I think, maybe even 218. So it was, you know, when we talk, we have readers go, oh, they're all the same. They're all maxed out. And everybody's at the limit. No, no they're, they're not. Everybody's designing to something kind of within the realm of the limit, but there is a tremendous variability in manufacturer's ability to hit that number. And so, yeah, like some of these guys are, are still, you know, when the limit is the extreme edge, Tio's going to yell at me when I say the limit is 257, but you know, he knows what I'm getting at. If the limit is 257 and that's, that's the absolute knowing that the USGA is going to come sniffing around if, if anybody's much above 250. There are still companies that, that are in the 220s with some of their parts, which also means that there's probably stuff on the retail shelf that's 
probably oh. above 260 even if if the curve is that wide which is which is really bad because uh, you know then you can get into a whole issue with the recall remember that happened to nike several Thank several you. years ago like a generation ago now but yeah, so there there are some duds out there. And so if you can tighten those tolerances, you you remove the duds. You also yep. remove kind of the hot heads from the market as well. But you know, if I'm a guy who who doesn't know what I'm gonna get, which is everybody when you when you're you know, driver shopping and in, in terms of CT, I'd I'd I feel yep. much more comfortable knowing that I'm gonna be, you know, somewhere in that that high two thirties to low two forties than, you know, maybe I'm gonna get something closer to 257 but maybe i'm going to get something closer to 220 that that part sucks so it's yeah. not exciting not exciting at all but it's it's what's real and again there's some little other things here and there but it's it's really about pushing manufacturing tolerances so do you think that that's something we'll hear from manufacturers because yeah roughly i think my math is right roughly 20 ct points is a mile an hour of ball speed which puts us kind of at that half mile an hour for every 10 CT points um, and a mile an hour may not sound like a lot, but when you're doing, you know, when we have 10, you know, tens of thousands of shots in our most wanted driver test and you look across things, you know, the, a mile an hour difference, two miles an hour difference is, you know, first to last, like that's the entire, that could be it is, but, but, of our day. But on the golf course, right. You've talked about this before, it's, you know, take one step. And if it's, if, if it's two miles an hour, maybe take two steps up that fairway and decide if that's worth 600 bucks. Yeah. So, but will, will manufacturers talk about that? Will they talk about, Hey, we're able, you know, the, the driver that you're fit for at the demo day, uh, we're, we're going to do a better job of making sure that we can deliver that exact driver to you. So to make sure that you are getting a B or C, or do you think they'll continue to push the narrative of speed? without the understanding of, or without consumers going, yeah, but it doesn't really translate to the course. And now we're pushing the speed narrative, but yet I'm not going to hit it any further. Well, this is like, we've, we've touched on, this is not a sexy story, right? Nobody's going to be like, I'm going to go out and buy this new driver because it has tighter manufacturing tolerances. So there's always going to be a speed story. There's going to be a material story. We, we, we see this. Every year, again, carbon face, um, going back three, almost four, two years, right? Two years now is Titleist in the ATI face. And it's all right. about all that stuff to a degree is, is tied into tolerances, right? This is a, a material that we can better control the, the various structures on the bulge and roll. It's, it's less prone to deformation with use. We can manufacture it to tighter tolerances, et cetera, et cetera. And when you do all of that, Yes, it typically translates to a little more speed on average, but ultimately it's a manufacturing story. I feel like that kind of, that kind of moves us almost into and through what I like to call the forgotten area of golf equipment. The one that I tend to write about the most often, which is <laughs> fair, fairly woods and hybrid, but, hybrid. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the ghost equipment, um, because it's a different, it's a different battle, right? Fairway woods and hybrids, the heads are much heavier, so it's easier to save weight, right? But you, you can almost end up with too much discretionary weight. So it's like, well, okay, it's not hard to find 75, 80 grams in a fairway wood or a hybrid to move around, but where are you going to move you then? It's, where are you going to move it? Small package. 
I think the problem. Yeah, it is. So this is a case where, again, manufacturing tolerances to a degree, again, not sexy, but the other thing that's, that's kind of cool with fairways and hybrids. And I think, I think the real opportunity that's on the table here is if the USGA does something with the driver. So if they dial back the driver CT, then, then I think you're going to see an ushering in of a new innovative era in fairway woods, because there's, there's reason to do it. And, and you can invest in that now, because now these things are going to be relied on to be really hot and give golfers back some of the distance that the USGA is, is talking about stealing. So that, that is one option. The other thing that's really cool in this space that isn't sort of a absolute performance benefit to everybody who picks up a fairway wood or a hybrid, you have tremendous opportunity to play with the shaping. Yeah. So you have taller face fairway woods, better suited for the T you have these flatter things for fairways and, um, some of the stuff Adams has done for, as an example, and other companies have done this to come out of the rough with the shaping and baffler rails, which Cobra has used forever. And PXG is, is using too. all these little kind of tweaks that are, some of them are performance based and some of them are just to appeal to the discerning eye of different types of golfers. And the same is true with hybrids where you see, we talked about, right? The the super hybrid or, or whatever you want to call it, where the utility things that are own, right. These things that are almost hybrids and even the big ones come in various shapes, right? The, the Cobra yep. one tends to be really big where the utility wood tends to be kind of a, a flatter profile. So you have mm -hmm. that kind of thing going on in the space and with hybrids, you got the peanut shape and the, the traditional, right. It's a little bit of everything to fit every golfer. And then within that, you still have the, all right, hey, some guys benefit from the forward center of gravity. So that's why you have, you know, something like a, a TSI-3. And I think we can project a TSR-3 and a, a TSR-2 type of thing where it's going to be a, a farther back center of gravity. And Cobra does this really well, right? With the, what we call the big, tur, the big tour and the little tour. Big tour. Yep. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's shaping and... Again, <laughs> manufacturing dollar too. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's one of those uh, fairway woods and hybrids. I think the the big opportunity is a function of uh, you said how discerning a customer might be, and I think I think that's it. I think for the off the rack buyer person, it is kind of like okay, well, you know, whatever. But because you have fairway woods that approach the size of a large hybrid, or smaller hybrids that look act and function more like a large iron whatever the case is you have so many different choices and options but it's only a choice or an option if that option matters to you right so you have to figure out okay where could my game benefit from a specific type of fairway wood or hybrid and if you can't answer that question then all the choices in the world don't matter to you but if you're willing to be open to it, right? And go, okay, you know what? I've never really thought about, you know, getting down to that kind of more granular, you know, granular level of what do I really use a five wood for? Could I use a seven wood? You've called your seven wood kind of a cheat code because you found, you know, something that really works for you because of the launch, spin, et cetera, characteristic. Then it's almost like, you know, uh, and again, this is the gearhead golfer. This isn't the off the rack buyer. But to go through your bag and treat each of the 14 clubs as like 14 
individual fitting scenarios and to say, okay, what am I going to use each of these spots for? And you might find that you don't want it three wood. Maybe it's right to a four wood, something in 16, 17 degrees that that spot is being wasted um, 12, 13 degrees, right? But we don't know until you're willing to find out that kind of information in detail. And then, then you can kind of go from there, but man, it's, uh, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see. How about irons? Maybe the biggest opportunity, and again, manufacturing tolerances, but it's, it's probably less of a concern, but if you look at just probably the last five years, where have been where have the biggest distance gains come from throughout the bag? I'd argue some hot fairway woods. We still see some innovation there, I think, but irons for sure. And yeah, there's there's some loft jacking that's going on and, and some companies and models do it better than others where, yeah, all right, we're gonna we're gonna jack these by two degrees, but because of where we're able to put the center of gravity, materials allow us to do all of these things. You're going to hit them higher. And so because they're they're they go higher, they're going to land softer. And so you can get away with some of that spin loss and, and those jack lofts. And we see that come through for some players. And we also see situations, particularly where you put these jacked irons, jacked game improvement irons, which to me is, is kind of strange in some cases for guys who, who don't have the swing speed to sort of activate all of that dynamic stuff that's I that's engineered into it and so it just doesn't work as designed and in those cases you know those guys are probably better off with something like an f-max series that you know maybe isn't isn't long but has traditional lofts and so they can still hit them up in the air they can hold greens and, and do things like that so as you touched on it's sort of you know what what's going to work for you but I still think there's some some distance opportunities left in the in the iron category. Yeah, I think it's it's twofold a little bit. One, you know, if your seven iron swing speed is ninety miles an hour and, and up, I don't think there's much in terms of um, you know, major changes, right? I mean, again, you look in the bag of if you like to do that kind of thing, some of the tour pros and and that kind of stuff. Um I mean Look at Rory's irons. Uh, look at Scotty Scheffler's irons. If you you know watched this last week, there's only so many ways to. You did not, but there's only so many ways, right, to innovate a muscle back. And no, give me no way you're on phenomenal, but right, it, that's not a ball speed. That's not purely a ball speed conversation. Even if you take it one more step into, call it like the the T100 Mizuno, you know, uh, the Pro 223s. Um, that's not totally a ball speed conversation, right? It, it is about speed. It's having enough speed, but then, okay, great. I think it's really for that beginning to mid-tier golfer where they need as much speed as they, you can't give them enough more speed, if you will, off irons, but at what cost? So are, are, are you going to be able to find a way to offset um, different elements of that design with things that those golfers might know that they want? And more importantly, what are some things that you might be able to give that golfer that they don't know that they want? Can you make a club, make an iron that is faster, flies higher, 
maybe with the adjustable spin properties, right? What if you get that person that does need a little bit more spin? Are there adjustable opportunities on an iron, um, you know, where you might be able to do that for that 12, 15, 20 handicap player and make it feel good? Because we've hit some of those and, and regardless of what companies say, you know, hey, this is a, you know, it's a game improvement iron, but it feels like a forged iron. You can yeah, say it all you want, say it louder. And that doesn't even get us down the rabbit hole of, of just because you have one piece of the head that's forged that you'd slam on there. Now you call it a forged iron. Like, okay, but <laughs> can you act forged ish? Forged ish, quasi forged. Um, <laughs> it's funny, quick aside, some of those irons that we see in the US, they can't sell them as forged or put that label on them in Japan. Uh, or overseas because uh, uh, effectively of uh, quality control practices and kind of consumer advocacy practices, they can't call them <laughs> forged because the uh, the definitions are are a little stricter and might aren't equal accurate. If it's not forged everywhere, is it really forged? <laughs> the same eyes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But based I think on marketing laws, it's those. Yeah, it's those trade offs. Can you get an iron? That does go further, but retains enough spin. I think adjustability is going to be something. I think, um, and we'll see this. We'll do some of our testing and see. But uh, you know, Adele with the SMS irons, you know, conflicting feedback from different people inside the industry. Obviously, player testing feedback and things like that. But beyond, you know, you know, beyond fitting to a specific swing type, what if we're trying to moderate? weights and things in the head to change spin and try to change dynamic loft uh, principles and try to adjust fitting through kind of the ways that we've done with drivers and metal woods over the year. Will that show up in irons in that game improvement, super game improvement space? I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, I don't know because, and again, Edel's unique because it is a small company with a small lineup, but if you look at most of the the major OEMs on the market now, I mean, it's not uncommon. You could probably count Callaway, probably six different models. TaylorMade's got to be pushing six. Titleist has got probably six, five to six, just five and you know, off the tie off the mad. Yeah. So I think the argument there is if, if, instead of moving a weight around to try and dial you in to from a very small selection of irons within our catalog, we've got, we've got six discrete models for you to choose from, and we're going to find a way to fit you there. And we're maybe going to mix and match the long irons, you know, more forgiving long irons with more workable short irons, whatever word yeah. you want to use for that. So I, I think, the, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see adjustability in an iron really taking off because the large manufacturers provide that same type of fitting experience in a, in a different way. So I don't, I don't think there's the need to dabble too much. And a lot of times, and again, I, I can't speak to the Edel iron, haven't hit it, but you know, this was an issue that the PXG had to work around for sure. And others, when you start putting screws and, and all these movable weight pieces in an iron all this adjustability components what have you you do risk 
kind of the feel there are consequences there because it changes the way the iron vibrates and you know that's that essentially is the sound and the sound is the feel and yeah it's it, it's a lot to to navigate and engineer your way around to to get to something that feels like golfers want it to feel mm -hmm. of course you know when you get into those super game improvement and game improvement feel is probably less of a of a concern or maybe it's fair to say that that some golfers within that category think something feels good that you and I would, would maybe say doesn't. Yeah. So depends on to each his own there, but yeah. Yeah. Um, point of reference kind of stuff. I'm not sold on it. You're Still. not sold on it. Yeah. I mean, again, the likelihood of all these categories is that things are very, very small. And, and like we said, iterative where it's a little tweak, it's a slight CG ad uh, adjustment for a particular reason. It's, the the uh world's sexiest um you know uh adherence to better spec tolerance it's you know those under tolerances <laughs> what about wedges don't answer what about wedges yeah just just what let them rust wedges? that's the just let them rust and you'll pick up uh 11 million rpms or, or something no do not do that do not do not do the rusty wedge thing but but in in talking to some people about rusty wedges for a story we're going to be publishing here probably shortly after this actually publishes, it was brought to my attention that you can sometimes see significant spin increases simply by putting the golfer into the right grind. And so oh. something as simple as a soul grind or Maybe not simple, but something as easily overlooked or thought of as insignificant as a soul grind. There are opportunities there to increase spin, which, you know, is a good bit of a wedge story, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, that's fitting. That maybe not necessarily for the off yep. the rack buyer. So that's one option. And then you know, I think I think there's something to finishes. Again, I'll go back to ping and hydro pearl too, and and how well that that sheds moisture and and how close it keeps those wet dry spin deltas. I, I I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't seen more manufacturers tackle that. You see different companies do it different ways. Mizuno has kind of those uh, those vertical groove type features, or Angular, I guess, is probably more accurate that that channel moisture that way. And so you're seeing improvements enhancements to grooves as well but I, I really think there's something to the finish um, <laughs> but it seems so far that that everyone short of ping has been has been kind of reticent to to tackle that yeah so it's sort of like well we'll just you know our raw wedges the unplated wedge not because it's rusty but because it's unplated right will sometimes spin more at least when the wedge is new of course it's going to wear faster and once it does get that rust on it it actually can start to degrade spin so you know again watch out for rusty wedges some opportunities there as well <laughs> so riddle me this though if you mentioned ping and i think this is a really interesting one because in our testing we've seen it hydro pearl finish it's hydro pearl what 2.0 now the uh, updated finish i think it actually generated more spin at times where we saw spin degradation by adding moisture. And part of me wonders is if, let's say, Titleist found that first as, you know, the leader, both retail and on, uh, you know, and on tour usage, right? Vokey is 
uh, ahead of, of everybody else. Had Titleist come up with that first, would we have seen more immediate acceptance throughout the industry? Or uh, is it the case that, you know, other uh, other companies maybe just haven't seen the value in it, that it doesn't resonate with consumers? And it's like, yeah, that's fine, but we're not going to put money into developing something like that because we just don't see, we just don't see the consumers care about it. I think, I think it's probably a case of being invested in other ways to maintain spin. So the various groove and groove designs, TaylorMade does some of that. Callaway does some of that. Shrixon, Cleveland, definitely some of that, right? Where micro grooves, whatever you want to call them, uh, micro ribs, <laughs> I think there's probably every company calls them a little something different, but it's these, these sure. structures between the grooves that I, I think are what a lot of companies rely on. And like, yeah, that those definitely work to a degree, but, but why not mm -hmm. do both? And it's uh, mm -hmm. some investment there. All right. It Putter. costs money. Putters, Tony. Well, we've seen face tech work. Um, so I think there's, there's something there. I think we're starting to see a movement, not just among consumers, but I, it's kind of looking at it on tour too. And you've seen a shift towards mallets in general. So I think, and again, that's, that's not revolutionary. That's not new. I mean, you can, mallets have been around for, for quite some time, but starting to become as seen as acceptable for a serious golfer, maybe uh -huh. it, it's hard to explain why the adoption was so slow, but again, seeing it on tour now where. I think most weeks mallets are, you're going to find more mallets in, pl in play than blades, which is, yeah, you know, that's, that's relatively new. But again, that's, you know, it's just, it's an MOI story. It's a stability story. I don't know necessarily how much even manufacturing tolerances, except oh. the, <laughs> the grooms on putters with some of these, the these face designs really gets you above and beyond, you know, just kind of what you yeah. get anyway. So. I think it's, I think it's a shorter runway. It's, it's less exciting still, but it's a slow science, right? We talk about putting as a, a slower science, the, the collision, you know, swing speed, ball speed stuff. It happens. I mean, it's a real thing, but it's just happening much slower. So it, it, it kind of has this different, I don't know, mentality around it, but to your point of what's acceptable, right? For a serious golfer, I think we're getting. I mean, man, if we're not entirely past this, we're, I think we got to be darn near close to the end of it, which is anything goes, you know, mallets, big, small. I mean, you see Adam Scott, right. With, you know, we got broomstick stuff. We got, uh, you know, zero torque, no torque, you know, whether it's even roll or axis or lab putters, uh, I don't know that there's anything that face I, balance, fly angle balanced, all the balances, all the balances balanced in every way with no torque or, or whatever it is. Um, I think what you're going to see, maybe here's the opportunity is a different type of fitting or a different type of acceptance for serious players around literally anything that gets the ball in the hole quicker. I think even this last weekend tour championship, Billy Horschel switched to an axis putter, um, which again fits into that, you know, torque balance, no torque, whatever you want to call it area. I think he had been playing the ping, uh, tine, uh, and, and like I said, switched to that. So 
I think we're going to be in more of that anything goes type of place. And and I think you're going to see potentially a lot of players or players switching to things that maybe two, three, four, five years ago, you'd go, wow, that is so non-traditional, meaning it doesn't look like an answer, answer to, or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, I think you're going to see that. Well, I mean, think back to when, you know, the one I always point to is the spider. That's kind of the, of the new generation of mallets. And this is, you know, new going back half a decade, at least mm -hmm. that's the one that is the shape that has become ubiquitous, right? Everybody has something that resembles a spider in their lineup. And when that first came out, it was a lot of, mm -hmm, I don't know about this. And so, yeah. yeah, you really, that's become common. And I think it's that one maybe is the one that opened the door or kicked it wide open to, to some of these more unconventional shapes. Mm -hmm. you know golfers willing to to try something that looks a little weird but might actually help and that's the putter category is unique in that respect you don't see a lot of people willing to embrace a, a really wacky looking driver you're not going to see vast irons make a comeback i don't think they're square drivers trying there, to drive there's probably not there are the majority of, of categories there is a box that manufacturers design within because consumers are really comfortable within that box and in fact don't want to escape that box whereas putters are like yeah you know what? i'd be i'd be willing to try something a little weird here mm -hmm. so, and i think some of that comes back to and this is some of that tour influence part right where when you see serious players or better people that you perceive to be better players than you using equipment that you're like oh man if that guy will play that club I should play that club. I'm told this is an opportunity to get freaky. Yeah. It's, let's get freaky with it. You know, if that person's going to use that, great. I mean, holy cow, this it's like that. Uh, you know, some of those memes you've seen, it's like, well, he's a 10, but he putts with a broomstick putter. You know, <laughs> she's a two, but uses a Scotty Cameron, you know, or whatever it is. Um, I think it's going to be, yeah, like I said, an opportunity to try to do some different things and, without the fear of looking looking ridiculous because here we are i think it's a different different paradigm tony you have six hundred dollars you can take four golf lessons or you can buy a new driver we hear this argument lessons golf equipment don't buy a club you're better off taking lessons you're going to get better okay maybe 600 bucks which one are you going to pick i'm taking my shot with the lessons because Why? It, it, for, well, if I think it through, I'm trying to remember the last time that I fit into a stock shaft. And so 600 is going to get me a driver that probably doesn't fit me very well. So that's, that's part of it. Uh, I think, I think the potential, and let's emphasize that word potential upside for lessons is higher. I think. I think $600 in lessons has the potential to shave more strokes off your game than 600, than a single $600 driver, or I guess in today's world, half a set of irons. And, you know, maybe you get two fairway woods if you're on a, you know, if you, you go with last year's model. So yeah, I, I, I just, it's, it's tough to envision like a single club shaving multiple yeah. strokes off a game. And I think. With lessons, you have the potential to do that, 
but you know, the stars have to align. You got to put in the work. There's not, you know, right. just as I wouldn't say, Hey, if you go out and buy a new driver, you're guaranteed to shave three strokes off your game. Right? You can't I'd say the same thing about lessons. Just because you spend $600 on lessons does not guarantee you're going to shave strokes off your game because you've got to, you've got to find the right instructor, not just a good instructor, but a good instructor that's compatible with you. Mm -hmm. And, and the other piece of it is to put work in on the other end of it. If you just kind of, Hey, I, I went in for an hour and I hit balls with this guy and he told me what to do. And that was the end of it. And I'm not working on my game and, and trying to commit those, those new skills to, to muscle memory, I guess is a, a simplistic way of explaining it. Then you're mm -hmm. probably not going to get much out of it. So yeah, I'll agree with you on the potential part. I think a couple of things that get lost in this debate. And part of the reason I wanted to ask you the question is we go back and forth and, and the obvious things again are obvious, but here, here are a couple things that, that I want to empathize with the crew that says, yeah, I'll buy some new equipment or, or whatever the case is. I've had some bad golf lessons, like where it didn't work. I didn't match up with the person. Um, they were fundamentally trying to ask me to do things my body couldn't do. And I got frustrated and I actually got worse for a period of time. Now, I know that happens, even if you do end up ultimately getting better. But in this particular case, it didn't. I, I just got worse because I was trying to do things that my body couldn't do. I didn't get a refund. There was no sale <laughs> value. Right. You know, if I buy a $600 driver, uh, you know, even if it's a, the worst, I mean, I'd never buy a driver thinking, hey, how much can I resell this for? But at least there's some value to it. If I go take a lesson and it's a terrible lesson, now I've gotten worse potentially, and I've spent 100, 150 bucks. Now look at where I, I, I'm at, right? I got to find a way to get back to at least where I was before the lesson and I'm out 150 bucks, right? So there's no guarantee that when you take a lesson that you are going to get better. There can, I mean, there is no 30 day trade in or, That's you right. know, yeah. warranty exchange. Like, Hey, you know, this didn't work out for me. Can I get X amount of, you know, does golf tech do money? that? I don't like, does golf tech have like money back guarantees? I don't know. I don't know. Like, hey, you buy this $1,200 lesson package and your goals are A, B, C, D, and E. If you don't reach those goals, then you can't. I need you. There's no way because it's, you know, it's so much on the golfer. Like I said, you've got you've to put in the work on the other end. It's not magic. And so. But what, if <laughs> what if you do? If they said, hey, here's a $1,200 package, here are your goals, da 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 da. You need to come in and a minimum of three times a week do da 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 da. And you do all of those things and you don't get better or you don't reach those particular goals. Should you get some of your money back or should you be able to keep training and doing that for free until you do reach those goals? Like, hey, I've invested X amount. I I should be able to, you know, keep practicing and taking lessons from you until I get to what <laughs> like, I'm supposed to get to or you're. You have not improved my game, so I get to keep working with you and not improving for as long as I like. No, I don't. I don't know that that's a that's viable for anybody, right? But that's my that's my. Uh, I think that's a part of this conversation that gets best, which is 
there it's not like you just take people oh you take less and you know that's way better than buying new equipment but almost as though they're implying that there's some guarantee that one the lessons are going to work two you're going to be able to find somebody that works you know with like said that is a good fit for you i mean and and three that you're going to be able to find somebody period how do you know who is a good instructor and who isn't you can't rely on these you know top 10 lists top 100 lists or whatever i want to i certainly want to rely on that as you know as some type of biblical truth um is there any data anywhere that you could go say hey i want to go to an instructor that you know has, has a proven track record of of performance of helping x type of golfers or whatever where would i get that information yeah that's that's tricky because i think a Different instructors certainly have different specialties and, you know, maybe, maybe somebody who works with elite players isn't necessarily the best fit for, you know, a 20 handicap trying to get to a 17 kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's tough. I, again, I've, I've mentioned my, my coach a few times, Anders, I'm fortunate, uh, in that a, he has a sterling reputation and, and beyond that, if you just want to look at the results. You know, he does exceptionally well. He has an exceptionally strong junior program. And, and obviously I am, am not a junior golfer. We're <laughs> rapidly approaching the senior level, but in terms of quantifiable results, you know, every year it's two, two of his students end up at, at Augusta in the drive pitch and putt championship. One of his students just won the women's, the New York state women's am on my home course. I mean, so. You know, if, if you can look and see, hey, is there, is there results? Are there, are there testimonials even? Is there somebody mm -hmm. I can talk to about their experience? And I don't know, I don't know how prevalent that is in the instructional, instructional world. Right. Um, certainly more with the online coaching where, you know, reviews are traditionally part of the medium. So, hey, five stars, whatever it is, great experience, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, but man. Yeah, your your local guy who works out of the a local club or something like that. It it can be harder to know, but I mean, you know, whole, whole, what in life does give you a guarantee for the most part? So, death taxes and that's about it. Yeah, that's yeah. about it. So, so yeah, I would come and bring it back around. I would, yeah, probably take my chances on on lessons especially since we kind of know that assuming you are reasonably well fit i would go so far as to say assuming you are not poorly fit for the equipment <laughs> your upside isn't isn't what it is right with new equipment is what you'll see with instruction it's just not the same there's yeah like upside just upside. based on upside alone yeah I would agree. I would I'd spend on lessons. I would I would I would tend to agree. Um but I says so, so the guy trying to put his equipment website out of business here. But yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, no, I, I think it's important, but I also think that there it my uh, golf coach spy coming soon. <laughs> it breeds an opportunity for yeah, for some of that stuff. Just because man, there are no guarantees, like you said, and and uh who knows. You know. And some people, there are realities too that some people just aren't comfortable in those type of environments working with somebody. There's, 
you know, lots of individual things that go on just as there are some guys who aren't comfortable getting fit for golf clubs. I mean, any number of things real or imagined. So Mm -hmm. yeah, as, as always, right. The answer probably is it depends on the individual, on the instructor, on the piece of equipment you might be buying. But again, if I'm, if I'm just taking my chances, I'm going to take the lessons. Okay. All right. Well, that doesn't solve that, and we'll move on to to the next one. But, uh, Tony, we're catching up. We got some great, uh, great guests coming up, like we said. Um, You know, find us out there on the social, on the interwebs, Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C, and we will see you next time. We out.